0: Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. G'day, Clayton here from XY Advisor, chatting with Lewis all the way over in South Africa. Mate, thanks for coming on.
1: It's only a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Clayton.
0: Do you know how many financial planners there are in South Africa?
1: Uh, They do measure how many people are registered on licenses, but the numbers are so skewed because that includes people that sell insurance for car salesmen. Um, So the numbers are are really skewed. I think if I'm not mistaken, there's about 6,000 members that are certified financial planners. So if that gives you any sense...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, the the CFP and the FPA uh, are are pretty big in South Africa. Like That's in terms thing. of, they're they're the yeah. It's um it's it's I've recently learned Kate Holmes were had a sort of a bit of a global position with um with the FPA for a few years. I've only since learned it's an interesting sort of setup. You've got the US. And then South Africa apparently is the other, for worldwide, non-US. So, I guess the, the Australian version of FBA would somehow be attached to the South
1: African version, which I had no idea about. Oh, that's great. It just seems yeah. like these things are merging closer and closer, hey? You can pick up things from across the globe and use them in your business. Absolutely. And um,
0: it's crazy, man. Like, it's crazy because... Here's a word you don't get to use very often, zeitgeist, right? Like the 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 spirit of the age, and um, and I feel like actually it's more than feel. I I I'm, I if I sat down to do an empirical test on this, I could prove it, <laughs> which is the world that the world of financial planning is changing massively, really, really rapidly, and I would say the world over, and it's become I, I'm not sure and I'd love to get into it. But in Australia, it's been very much under scrutiny for about, goodness, almost almost a decade. So maybe about seven or eight years, it's been under a lot of scrutiny. It's sort of fluctuated um, as to what kind of scrutiny it's been, whether it's been from government or regulatory bodies. Or, um, but the goal has essentially been the same, which is how do you get better advice? Right, so that's kind of the the constant, the constant pursuit, and the different sort of levers that are getting pulled by government bodies, you know, and uh, and as a result of all that, advisors have gotten together and I guess as a response and said, actually, we we can take it from here. So we're still getting a lot of that sort of top down, but there's been a huge bottom up. So that's what's happening in Australia, but I'm keen to hear about what's happening in South Africa, where are you feeling this rise of the financial planner as well? And are you guys under a bit of scrutiny or
1: what's happening over there? Sure, that's a a great question. And I think there's there's definitely a couple of elements to it. So the one is this massive change in regulation called the Retail Distribution Review, which is essentially just a top down push of you need to comply with these type of rules. But where it originated, I think is this misalignment between incentives and what is best for the client. So for many years, financial advisors in South Africa, they call them brokers or just financial planners have been seen in a really bad light because people were very disappointed with the outcomes of their financial products. And in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been this shift to providing more professional advice. But unfortunately, the beneficiaries have been a very small part of the South African population, right? So people with high income, people that have accumulated assets. And if you look at the amount of people post-retirement, like that fit that description, it's like less than 6% of our population. So you've had these people that have been left behind, partly because there's a massive lack of employment, but also just that they haven't really had access to proper financial advice and unbiased advice. So I think given that as a backdrop, we've seen this wave of new advisors just almost pulling the industry into an era where uh, they incorporate more independent advice, it's maybe a little bit more coaching, it's a much more professional role and the advisor has been lifted into a professional uh, light. For lack of a better word.
0: Wow. Yeah. Look, it, it sounds it's reflected with what's happening here, and when I have sort of conversations with other advisors around the world, it's there's something going on, and I, I mean, it's not that the financial services yeah, regulatory bodies wouldn't be paying attention to each other across the world, right? So I'm aware that there's a level of engagement on an international level and a and a desire. Amongst the globe to 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 you know get those standards up from from a professional point of view from an unbiased point of view, um, it's going to be interesting to see whether it happens in the states because I think their lobbying ability is far let's call it sophisticated than the rest of the world. It's you know they've they've kind of got their uh, their abilities to to sway legislation um, is much more of a eh, it's a yeah, it's sophisticated, and a bit more mature than the rest of the world. The rest of the gotta <laughs> kind of let like the rest of the world just goes, oh, "Okay, boss," and then America goes, "No, no, 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 you're not the boss. We're the boss." I I I do dig that about the Americans. Whether it's the, whether it's the best result for financial planning, who knows, right? So we'll, we'll wait and see. And I'm certainly not into a, in a position to even um, have an opinion. Um, so the rise of the financial planner is something that has been going through my mind for, for a while. And uh, when we kicked off XY six years ago, it, we, we were a bunch of, uh, I'd say late twenties, early thirties. And we had this idea involved, which was good advice existed somewhere in the world. We just didn't know what it was, who was giving it, where you could find out more. And uh, we started putting on events, but the, the more that I'm sort of drawn into the international space, I'm seeing it happen. However, the interesting thing is I, while there's an international standards for accounting, I don't think yet there's international standards for financial services, which is a really strange concept. And I've never even heard anyone else talk about, Um, but I am still interested to find out what those standards are for where you are. So is it required to be a degree or is
1: anyone allowed to to get in or break it down for us i think you're spot on that we're almost playing a little bit of catch-up on the accounting industry where they've got these uh, article process where you go to work for three years for almost nothing and then you become a, a professional chartered accountant or registered accountant um I follow the American FBA quite closely because I'm an international member. I would really suggest checking that out because you get access to the financial planning journal, which is just oh, wow. that's a phenomenal source of, of information. Like you said, like there's a lot of stuff that they do, but there's also some things that have fallen flat, right? So like the fiduciary role, those kind of things. So in South Africa, it's still very open, right? You need a grade 12 Uh, qualification you need to write a very basic entry exam called the regulatory exam to become a registered representative there's a manner of um, supervision that you have to go through and what they've brought in now the cpd continuous professional development uh, amount of training hours per year that you have to get but the bar is extremely low to get into the industry which Mm. i would almost maybe it's a little bit selfish, right? If they raise the bar, it becomes existing advisors become more valuable and it's more difficult to get in because we have these large insurance businesses that just bring in massive amounts of of advisors with the aim of trying to generate new product sales. And then you also see a big exodus, right? So people just leaving the industry. Even thinking back 10 years ago, I finished my CFP Uh, essentially the studies for, to be able to write your exam. And out of that class, less than 10% are still in the industry. Now that's definitely changing, but it's a very small number.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, How big do you think the pool of people is in South Africa who could afford good financial advice?
1: So if I approach it from the, the angle that someone that's willing to pay right as maybe an a monthly subscription or a uh, a project fee someone that has a high income but haven't accumulated assets yet i think Mm. that pool can be massive right unfortunately those people tend to be the ones that are lured into high commission paying products so they get a really bad experience from advice and They're just kind of anti-advice. And if we can fix that component, I think clients can see, oh, my financial planner with my accountant and with my tax guy becomes so important that we're almost automatically seen as being a bit more professional. So the pool can be so much bigger. It's probably 10 times the size of what it is at the moment.
0: Interesting. Um, One of the things I think I've seen, actually not think, one of the things I've definitely seen um, a couple of advisors do and when they make this decision it's not overnight results right it's hard work day in day out for a handful of years but one of the things I see works really well here is so for example we've been smashed Australian financial advice has been smashed by the highest like court In Australia, it's called the Royal Commission, and and I'm not sure if you heard about this, but the last thing that they took on before financial planning was really bad stuff, like child abuse. You know, it was like this, and then financial planning, like that, was next in line, right? So, um, so we're we're really low in terms of you know Pew polls and all that sort of research. We're really low in terms of trust. However, that situation has lit a firecracker up a lot of advisors and they've gone, okay, that's it. I just have to start talking to the market in a way that they'll understand me. I'm going to cut out the noise. So there's a couple of advisors I've seen that are really clear on their niche, on who they work with. And they just talk to that time, time again. And I mean, the, like they're getting really hyper niche, and the more hyper niche that they become, the clearer the message is cutting through. So uh, what someone like yourself,
1: how do you
0: approach client
1: acquisition? So I think just to touch on the niche component, we haven't really seen that in South Africa. There's maybe a handful of people that would specialize on kind of medical professionals and maybe work on a fee based only, but by and large, Um, It's either pre-retirement or post-retirement, right? So I wouldn't really (laughs) say that that's a, a niche component. We've been very fortunate in our business that it's really attracted the right type of clients, clients with similar problems. And what often happens is that it's people that have built up their own business that get stuck in this analysis mode of wanting to pick all of the options and we become their thinking partners, right? Yeah. The finances just fit into that. But if you, if you click a new gel as a client relationship, then the rest just becomes so much easier. So I think we spend a bit more time just making sure, is it the right fit? And we don't have a problem to say to someone, you know what, this is probably not a right fit. Here's a list of advisors that we think are great. Uh, it might make sense to chat to them because if it's not going to be a mutually beneficial relationship, then I think you're doomed from the start.
0: A thinking partner. That's a very interesting term. I've never heard that used before. How do you communicate that, and what does that translate to be in, in your service?
1: The one thing that uh, is still like stuck with me is that people are five times more likely to follow their own advice than when they hear someone else talk about it. Right. So if you take that approach, that the client is probably in the best position to follow their own advice. How do you guide them through a thought exercise so that together you come up with these potential options, your guide as the financial advisors to carve out which routes work well, which doesn't work out, what the pros and what's the cons. But the final decision is always still the client's decision because it's their money, right? It's their lives, it's their goals. You just happen to be there to help them think through these options. And I think if if you approach it that way, you tend to ask slightly better questions, right? You get them on board. So it's a joint decision. It's no longer, hey, Clayton told me to do this. And if it blows up, it's all your fault. (laughs) Um, So maybe it's just protecting us a little bit, but we just find that the buy-in is so much easier and it's like the relationship is so much stronger. Um, And we frame it around really about weighing up options, right? If that is buying a property, if that is moving abroad, which a lot of clients are going through, it opens up your your scope of services as well. Because an exercise I like to do is to say that if tomorrow the regulator removes our license, how can we still operate as a business where someone's willing to pay us for what we bring to the table, right? If there's no financial products, there's no implementation, because I think over time, technology is just going to replace that in any case. So let's start building uh, a brand around that and around... Weighing up complex or making the complex decisions simple.
0: I mean that sounds awesome. Um, so you mentioned thinking exercises. So um, and the conversation that it creates is, I guess, you're framing this whole relationship in a in a coaching capacity. It's it's a it's a support. It's a guide. It's the hero's journey. You're really sort of approaching advice from which i think is really intelligent again never did it myself as an advisor <laughs> and so i, I it's only the, the stuff the conversations that i've had over the years since then that always makes me go wow I, I could have done things so much differently i was so dedicated to getting really good outcomes that i wanted to control that as much as possible and while i did achieve really good outcomes In hindsight, I think the journey that you take someone on creates probably just as good outcomes, but, but they enjoy it. They feel empowered and they're probably more educated and bought into the process a lot more, which I'm a big fan of. So can I ask what kind of thinking exercises and how did you learn to provide this
1: advice? That's, that's a great question. Um, trying to think what the best approach would be on on this. So one thing that's helped me is just you could be the best technical advisor, but if a client never implements your advice, how valuable is that? And I think that's around the work that Dr. Moira Summers does around just being able to implement advice. And what we see a lot in the industry is that, yeah, you can be, this is the best investment portfolio, right? But if it's not aligned to, what that client needs and what they're ready to take on, your whole advice model falls flat. So we would just spend a lot of time firstly, making sure that we've gathered and organized all of the finances for that client so that they see everything on one page. And then we ask them, how does that feel, right? And you won't imagine the kind of emotions that come around and how they feel about their finances. For a lot of people, they have this massive anxiety that they haven't accumulated enough that they're not okay. And if you can slowly but surely at least give them a little bit more comfort and just taking stock. Because can you imagine, you've been working for 40 years, you're coming to see a new financial advisor, you've accumulated these assets, just the anxiety around, have I been doing the right thing for 40 years? We often take that very lightly because, hey, it's just another client with another uh, random amount, but for that guy, that's everything. Mm. And just taking a little bit of grace maybe into the conversation and saying, how does it feel? Do you see this? It resonates with some people. Some people are not ready at all. And then just like, uh, but it also depends on how you frame it, right? Just saying, how does it feel to see everything in front of you that you've accumulated? You can see sometimes they just rush through the answer. And if that then leads to, to the next step saying, well, now that we know where we are and we've created this vision of where we're going, Like, what are the potential options for us to get there? And they can come up with these great ideas and then we can filter out later, financially, does this make sense? Because I don't think there's a best way or a worst way. Yes, technically, there can be scenarios where it really incurs a lot of taxes. But as long as the client takes that into consideration in terms of the pros and the cons, we don't know them the same way they know themselves around what they're planning for, right? There might be something coming up that they're just not ready to share with you. That's true. That
0: that if I think back to my career in in advice, there are a couple of clients who should have, I guess the warning signs that I wasn't doing a good enough job with the journey was they were making huge decisions and I didn't know about them. And uh, I remember remember thinking, yeah, that's even though like, I did a really good job with this client. (laughs) Oh my God. I stopped making a bunch of mistakes and uh, yeah, like mate, the the amount of work that, but still this, this client was making huge decisions without ever uh, engaging me. And um, I'll never forget that I, it dawned on me that I'm doing something really wrong. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing a disservice to this client because in my mind, I'm doing a great job because I'm, wow, stopped you from making this mistake. So that, you know, that's, that was probably uh, let's call it a 30, dollars $50,000 mistake, right. And within a short amount of time, so I stopped them from making that huge mistake. Another big mistake w- was over here and I stopped them from making that mistake as well and got them on track and got other people in their circle on track. And, but yet this, uh, these, these huge decisions were coming up and they didn't involve me. And I didn't, I didn't even know how to tackle it, if, if I'm being honest. But the way that you're talking about advice in terms of a thinking partner, how do you feel about this, the, co- the hero story, the coaching, which I'm really only just getting my head around, advice that sticks, Dr. Moira. You know, That was a great interview. I really appreciated the time there. Um, yeah, there's, there's obviously advice has come a long way in a short amount of time and we've got some really intelligent people feeding into it now. Um, it's, it's great to know that someone in South Africa is using the same words to describe advice that I literally just talked with uh, another advisor uh, just the other day. And so I love that this is all happening simultaneously across the world. Um, I'm interested to figure out your delivery of advice. Um, so to that end, I, we, we sort of had a quick chat before we started and you mentioned technology is an important part of your advice offering. So I like the way that you're approaching advice with the human centric view, with the idea that if you had no product, no license, what could you do? But then obviously being very compliant and having a license and using product. but it's a good frame. It's a good sort of litmus test or thought experiment, right? I, I'd like the framing for it the fact that you do both have the license and approach advice like that, I think is a really good combination. But now, um, yeah, I'm kind of interested to, to hear what it is that you're doing with technology. Are you focused on efficiency or are you focused on that client journey or is it a combination?
1: How do you approach tech? I think great technology becomes invisible, right? So if you yeah. think about your experience, on an iPad and an iPhone and just sending information in between, you don't have to think about the technology, right? Where you expect the button to be, that's where they put the button. (laughs) So it's, it's built around uh, that client experience. And we've tried to do that at least to a certain extent within our business to say, how can we take the technology and, give a great experience to the client, but also don't get them frustrated with technology, right? So maybe video conferencing is a great example. Instead of saying, we only use Zoom, we take the approach saying, well, which platform do you prefer? As long as it's secure, we could Mm -hmm. probably use any platform, right? The one that you're comfortable with. Instead of trying to force this client down another road to install something that they don't want to install. So (laughs) yeah, it's, it's really been a bit of a change around... Initially, I thought technology would allow you to not have to deal with clients, right? So you can just put it out there, they can go onto your website, they can follow a process and then everything sorted. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it's actually allowed you more time to deal with the client so that the time in between client calls, which clients don't really care about, right? They don't care what happens between the meetings. They just want to make sure that it gets done, it gets done well, and yes. that, that they communicated in between that process. So we've tried to use technology just to speed that up in terms of communicating with them, making sure they know what's going on, making sure that it gets done. And that's actually, it's as simple as that, right? And if your existing tools can do that, start using them because everyone's always saying, Oh, which CRM should I use? Which business, which uh, software should I use? Probably the one that you already have, right? Just starting using more and more of it because If they didn't have the functionality, then they would die out, right? So there's avid supporters of almost any technology and the South African market is quite small in terms of what they offer, but you can look abroad, just pick something, start somewhere, start using the technology around it and pick up those inefficiencies, right? So it doesn't mean have this like really complex workflow that no one really knows what's going on in any case. It's just like automating the things that you do manually, uh, every day, picking a small part like scheduling a meeting, right? So having an option where someone can just use a calendar link and so they select their their time slots. For some clients, and if you know your clients, they would probably not want that. They would want a face-to or a phone call to say, "Well, it's just touch base and uh, and get your get your calendar out." I think it's also easier if you don't have thousands of clients. If you think about a business like the Carson Group in America, where they're servicing thousands of clients, then it's probably really important to make sure everything's documented and streamlined and everyone follows the same approach. But for practice, I mean, we've got six people, um, about 140 households that we service, so it's not a massive amount, but we can take the time to to phone those clients. So also just not taking up on too much, I think is also really key. Yeah, do, do you have... a, a
0: do you have a particular method of keeping the client aware of what, where, the, where the workflow is up to? You were sort of mentioning you, you, that the client likes to be aware of what's getting done. Is that, is that something that you share? Is there a digital dashboard or is there something that they can log into or is that just an email? Or?
1: Yeah, so what we found with the digital dashboards, if you talk to most software providers... So, like, less than 10% of the people go and log in because yeah. it's, it's such a process. Um, yeah. If you were a DIY investor and you were doing your own thing, then you would expect to see it on a dashboard. But just sending a WhatsApp message, sending an email, hey, here's just a quick update. You're okay. <laughs> <Like> they want to <laughs> know because they've outsourced the implementation to you that you're actually doing it, right, and that that it's there. So, the speed of response is probably important right? So you can have speed, quality. Um, and I, th- I think if you have that combination of speed and quality, that is probably the sweet spot, but then you can't deliver that to everyone. Coming back to your niche saying like, who are you actually, who are you, like, who's it fun to deal with and where can you add the most value? Right. Absolutely. One um, of the things that you mentioned
0: before was the, it was the FPA journal, I believe you mentioned. I've never heard
1: of it. What is it? And, and and how often does it come out so the first of every month the financial planning association in the us publishes this financial planning journal right so people can write on all sorts of topics it's submitted by fba members and you have the kind of industry uh, superstars people that you would have had on your on your podcasts uh the Dr. Summers, Brad Klantz, like there's a lot of guys. And even this week with that Life 20 Summit, a lot of them are presenting. But when you see the topics that they tackle, sometimes it's very technical and it's tax related and and it won't apply to a global audience. But I want to say at least 50% of the content can apply to me and you sitting in a different part of the world using the same struggles that, that they go through, right? So how do you, get a business to grow fast enough so that you can create a career path for employees. How do you bring coaching into your conversations? Like how do you talk about mental health? These are global issues. And if we're going to become global advisors because our clients are moving around, like, shouldn't we be incorporating this? Um, So I can really recommend you have to be a member and that's included in the annual membership. I think it's about $250 a year. So it's really not a, not a high price point. And the content is just so valuable.
0: Wow, that's really helpful. Um, yeah, on, on that mental health thing, uh, what, so one in five people in every year is, is going to have a mental health event. Now, um, during the 10-part the podcast series that I did, uh, there's definitely a higher correlation of people with mental health Um, problems in any given year are happening to those who have experienced early childhood events, um, which I thought was really interesting. It actually came out of an insurance study that was done in the U S about 20 or 30 years ago. They were like, how do we predict if someone's going to need a claim or not? And they found out that it's uh, events that happen to to children uh, which have long lasting effect. And so, um, and so it's, it's, I think it's certainly beyond the realm and, and I would never imagine that an advisor would even touch on the idea of diagnosing or helping mental health problems. But, but being aware that they occur and that they can occur is something that's certainly right now after this 10-part series, it's really dawned on me. Um, and yet, realistically, I haven't heard a lot of talk about it. Uh, you hear a lot of talk about it in the general public. And then you hear a bit about it in terms of the mental health of advisors. And that's in, in Australia, at least. It's, re- it's been a big topic for a while because it's been slammed to the extent that it's been slammed. Um, but how an advisor deals with their client's mental health is certainly a big thing. And especially, and if I think back again to my shortcomings as an advisor, it seems to be that the, I'm becoming a better advisor now that I'm not an advisor. It's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs>
1: um,
0: but, but uh, if I think back, I go, oh, so all these people that were retiring or preparing for retirement, I could see and I could speak to them about how nervous they were. In some cases, upset. And that transition, I mean, the more, it was almost like the more successful, the longer working, the more prominent the position that the person was in, the more of a mental health effect that retirement was having on this individual. And for me, I kind of just was like, hey, like my job is to get you at that day. So we're planning for that day. My job is to get you there with the most amount of money. So you can draw an income for when you'll never earn new, new, new money again. That was my job. And, uh, I've realized that that isn't mine or wasn't my entire job. Um, my, it would have been to probably have someone, that I would consider an imp like a, a center of influence we call here in Australia or a referral partner, perhaps, uh, someone that I feel comfortable to hand clients onto because when I started my company in 2013, I had, I had no idea who my client was. It was whoever would pay me. Right. And so then I had older clients, younger clients. And then over time I ended up with this like, pretty cool, um, financial and lifestyle management framework. But when I first started, I, and I, I grabbed a few of these older clients. And so they stayed with me the whole time. And um, yeah, I just, I, I should have had someone on, you know, on speed dial that it was like, as a part of this process of you retiring, I'm not the only one person you have to speak to. Like you, I I want you to speak to this person and I think you need to speak to this person. I think that there's, because prevention's better than cure, mental fitness is better than mental recovery. There's all these really positive, positively skewed things that I just kind of saw it as, oh, they'll go through a bit of a down point and then, you know, they'll come up the other side when they get used to it and six to 12 months later. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that's good enough. I think, um, I think I should have probably had a better system Oh no, no, I should have had a a better system in place. Um, when it comes to mental health, is this something that is discussed within the advice community over in in South Africa, or is that something that you and your team consider or
1: how, how does it play a role at all? I almost want to go back to that part that you said, my role is to get you from where I am now to the day that you are no longer be going to be generating income. So the first part is getting you from here until, (laughs) until that day, right? (laughs) Yes. And if we can do anything we can to get, to make that journey smoother, everything else is just going to fall into place. So financial or, or mental health in the South African space is still not discussed openly uh, it's much easier for people to talk about money and sex than mental health, right? So that yeah. just, I think that balance is getting a little bit uh, easier, but it's it's still almost to, to an extent not seen as an illness, right? It's like, oh, okay. That's just something that you have to go and deal with. Um, a friend of mine once said that if you measure tire pressure, you change tire pressure, right? And what that means for me is that if you can sit with a client and they can they have the space to actually talk about something that is worrying them in a confidential space without the stigma of having to, to see a mental health professional that starts changing something already. So it doesn't always have to be, you know, I need to refer you to speak to someone that, that is probably in the sense where there's a real urgency. So if you mm. pick up, Uh, that someone has thoughts of suicide, then definitely the onus is there to actually make sure that their family supports them and that they're referred to a mental health practitioner. It's not something we do often, right? So we just start having that initial conversation around if there's things that are causing anxiety and and depression, it's okay to talk about it, right? Mm. And that gets the client into the habit of saying, well, if I can talk to my financial advisor, maybe I can talk to my friends and maybe I can talk to my family. And the more they start doing that, the more acceptable it becomes. And just like you're reflecting back now on what you did, they can start reflecting back on what causes these things, right? So that they can get themselves into a position where they are more secure around that and they can enjoy their money, right? And they can enjoy their family and their friends. So it's it's kind of... I would almost say a lighter touch than just, oh, we need to have this really deep discussion and I'm going to send you off to go and speak to someone. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. I think that, that approach doesn't really resonate with me. Some people might, uh, might resonate with that. But just saying no, this is no, a safe space.
0: makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense of what you just said. Yeah, I think the whole purpose of that series was to try and equip advisors to be able to extend their ability to have mm-hmm. the conversation without bringing in other people. Yeah no absolutely and um and the more that advice moves into that space of dealing with the human side of money i think it's just a it's such a free kick really i mean this whole advice was valuable you know when it launched as a as a as a career path but it has evolved and i think it's it's gotten to the point now where no one's really ashamed or scared to talk about how advice has evolved. I think for a while there was a little bit of a, well, the old guard's still around and we can't dismiss them. It's like, no, no, I'm not dismissing it at all. It's fantastic that it was created and brought to this place, but it's not that we're the new generation or whatever (laughs) like doing things differently it's just a a case (laughs) yeah exactly you know i i think it's just a case of the smart uh, some very smart minds from around the world have been contributing to this very important space i don't know what it's like in south africa but here in oz financial planners manage 60 60 percent of the wealth in this country and there's trillions of those dollars. So it's an insanely important job and it's an insanely important career. It's um i I'm I'm often blown away that I that I didn't even find out what financial planning was until like three years into my accounting degree. You know, and, and I was sort of talking to someone and saying, Oh, yeah, you know, I catch up with clients on a regular basis and we talk about the next 12 months, and they're like, Well, if you talk about the next 30 years, then you're a financial planner. And I'm like, huh? Tell me more about this. So uh, it's, it's ridiculous considering how important the conversation, the, the, the the profession is and how much of an effect the job has on each individual's life. And yet, uh, and yet, yeah, like we're only just now really finding our stride as a service delivery and as an offering um and it's been super interesting yeah finding out about the people that are coming at it from a therapy angle so they're super human that are now upskilling into the into the numbers side uh it was what actually um rick Kaler, who said um on the podcast he goes you know you talk to a finan- uh, you talk to a therapist about money and they they screech and run into the shadows. And you talk to a financial planner about you know emotions and they do the same thing. And so it's it's how do you overlap those two things? And I think that has been yeah that's been the journey. And and uh, I'm pretty sh- yeah I'm I'm very confident advice is getting there. And I think it's rapidly rapidly actually getting there on a global scale. So it's so cool to hear about um what you're doing over in South Africa. It, so how big is the community I, i've noticed you know because we've got a couple of i mean X Y as a as a platform is still really really young we've got a long way to go it's going to get a lot better but at it's most embryonic stages um there there are a couple of like uh, countries on there and i'm just noticing that uh that, that the south africans are a little bit more uh probably more connected already perhaps is there is there
1: something going on over there already we're very fortunate that we have product providers that are trying to build this community of advisors right without pushing their products so there's a couple of the firms that and they're prominent in australia as well that they're just putting people together saying we want to elevate the quality of advice because wow. if we know that advice is going to be around that's going to be better for everyone which which is phenomenal i mean it's so great to to see that um yeah. and that that view really does resonate with a lot of people because they're getting so much content and stuff for free that maybe they don't even have to go and look globally to see what, uh, what's happening in the rest of the world. I do find that it's sometimes maybe a little bit behind the curve. Um, so kind of almost playing a bit of catch-up of what's going on in the rest of the world because yeah. we're dealing with different sets of problems. But why not use that, right? If you can start off early sharpening those skills, and just bringing in another element of giving advice. It doesn't have to be your default and it doesn't have to be your only um, method. It's just adding to that toolbox. Eh? Mate, that's awesome. Well, like, obviously, I mean,
0: as I mentioned before we jumped on you, you, I, you I think the way that you talk, the way that you approach advice, it's you know what's interesting is like when you feel like you're behind the eight ball, you work really hard to get in front of the eight ball. And then you sort of, at some stage you sort of turn around and go, ah, oh, thank God, you know, like I'm not, I'm not sort of still behind the eight ball. And I, I like listening to the way that you talk. I feel like you've done that on an individual level and it's really cool to hear. And, uh, mate. Yeah. Like uh, clearly you are, a, you know, someone to keep track of. And so it'd be awesome to stay in touch. um, you know, maybe, you know, do future podcasts or, you know, work together on uh, doing some stuff in South Africa or whatever it is. But mate, thank you so much. Um, Like, it's awesome to, to have some of your time. I know you're about to now jump on and watch the life summit for the next couple of days. So uh, I won't, I won't sort of keep you from that. Um, But I really
1: appreciate time. really appreciate you sharing. And it's been awesome to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much, Clayton. It's been great. And thanks for the great work. I mean, bringing just the quality, Uh, that we can absorb anywhere in the world. That's just, that's phenomenal what you and your team are doing. So keep it up. Awesome, man. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.